Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Olivia Mentor. And today we're giving you advice. Are we qualified to give you advice? Probably not, but you asked for it. I don't think we are, but I think it's going to be fun regardless. And we got some really good questions. We got just all across the board. Questions. Juicy questions, all kinds of topics. We didn't know what to expect, but I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. And Olivia's drinking wine right now. I am. I am. I'm on a sort of half working remotely, half vacationing vibe right now. So I like that you're going to have sassy advice. Oh, yeah. That's what the wine is for, the sass. I have a couple work calls after this, so I can't be joining you. Understandable. Before we get into it, should we do some highs and lows? Yes. Tell me about your high. I am so happy for you. Tell me all about it. Man, writing a book is a roller coaster. So last week, I was so low. I was having such panic. I think it was probably the most anxious, fraught week I've had of this whole process as I finished up this last round of edits. Like, I'm not joking you, Olivia. I was like covered in hives for half the week, just stress, nervous hives. So I finished the round of edits and I, yay. Yay. And I sent it to my agent and I got the email. I got the email that said, you did it. You're done. Of course, I'm not done because once we sell the book, there'll be more edits. But I got like the stamp of approval that somebody else was like, yes, I agree that you have made a book. This is a book. It's such a full circle moment. You should be so proud of yourself. Oh, my God. I am so happy. I also had been just had no boundaries was working so much over the past few weeks on this. So it feels really good to have a breather. We're taking the book out to sell next Tuesday. So when this podcast episode comes out, it will be on submission. That's crazy. It's crazy. And I am just luxuriating in getting that stamp of approval, having a little bit of time off. I feel like Belle in the opening montage of Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) I'm just like, hello, world. (laughs) Books, oh, you baguettes. should. The The juxtaposition of you right now versus the you last week is truly like, I'm going to keep it in the back of my brain whenever I'm feeling like down about anything because I'm going to be like, anything can turn around. Yeah, it is. It's a lot. How do books get made? Who has the emotional fortitude to do this? <laughs> it take, It takes everything. It, I think it does. But you did it. I did it. You're I'm doing, doing it. it. I speak for everyone, and we're all very proud of you, I think. Thank you. What about you? My high is that I am in the Outer Banks on a family vacation. So I've been working from like 6 a.m. to 1 p.m. And then basically taking the rest of the day off to go to the beach or sit by the pool, reading a lot, which has been really nice here with family. There is a hurricane. And so we're feeling the effects of it all the way up here. But yeah, it's been really nice. It looks lovely. The it, it looks, I don't even know what movie it looks like, but it looks like some type of movie when you show the pictures of like the early morning, windy, deserted beach. Yeah. Nights in Rodanthe. I am almost in Rodanthe, basically. Maybe, but probably not. It's like a Nicholas, it's a Nicholas Sparks book, you know. Mm. Anyway, it's a really beautiful place and very special to me. So I'm glad to be here. I really want to go. You should. It, I don't know how much longer it'll be around. Like the houses are literally like falling into the ocean because okay. the beach is eroding so much. So I mean, TikTok. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what about lows? So my low is very sad. We had a cat that lived on our street 
and her name was Stella and she was an indoor outdoor cat. I loved her. I am not a cat person and I would like to take this opportunity to apologize to all cat people because I never understood the appeal of cats. This cat was so lovely. She greeted me every time I like got out of an Uber or I like turned onto my street. She was just always there. Anyway, long story short, Stella died. Stella passed away. And I found out when we were traveling. So like the fact that I'll never be able to go back on the street and just see her greeting me is really, really sad. Um, I'm so sorry. I don't really know how she died, which is really disturbing. But I was obsessed with her when I visited. She is the nicest cat, was the nicest cat. She really is. Multiple people messaged me on Instagram when I shared this. And they're like, I live like in the neighborhood somewhere. And we always saw her and she always greeted us. And I was like, Stella. Anyway, kind of a bummer. Um, Rest in peace, Stella. But yeah. What about your low? Oh, so I am having a dental saga. So I broke a tooth. <laughs> I broke a Not tooth. Good. On Saturday night, I was out to dinner with three girlfriends, and I had this feeling that I had something stuck in my teeth. And I like, you know, I just like put my finger in there and was like really rude and was like, oh, I like need to get this out. And I was like, oh, half my tooth is missing. It's my very back molar. I'm unclear what happened. I'm unclear if I ate something and it Oh, you swallowed it, didn't you? Well, yeah, I don't know where it is. Or if that's just when I noticed it, I would not be shocked if I'm a very bad night clencher. I would not Mm -hmm. be surprised if, like, in my period of stress, I just, like, clenched it off. So anyway. You were very clenched last week. You had the presence of a clenched person. (laughs) Yes. So I broke my tooth, which sucks. The good news is that the way that it broke, it didn't hurt at all. Like there was no like pain and there's no like sensitivity to like hot or cold or anything. So this was on Saturday night and then I made an appointment for the dentist and the soonest I could be seen was Wednesday. And again, there was no pain, so it was fine. And now it's like this domino effect. I feel like I'm being pressured into all of this like dental work. So Apparently, I have all of these issues with my bite. I have a really tight jaw. Like, I probably do have TMJ. So basically, like, the way that my bite is is causing pressure in my mouth. And so the dentist is like, well, we can fix it. But you have this, like, underlying issue. And yeah, that's what they do. That's what they do. And so now I'm being – I'm like – I guess I've already committed, but like I'm having all of this dental work and I'm like, I don't want it. I just want to bury my head in the sand and like fix this tooth and go about my day. Yeah, I totally understand because I (laughs) went to the dentist last year and they were like, okay, so no cavities, everything's fine, but you'll need all of your wisdom teeth out. You'll also need braces to correct your bite. uh, And then maybe we can do some other stuff. Actually, I went in because I, as a teenager, knocked half of my front tooth out. Just half. So what are you doing? Are, I, I know you got your wisdom teeth out. Are you just not going to do the rest? No, I didn't get my wisdom teeth out. I have buried my head in the sand. My oh, okay. point is that you, too, can bury your head in the sand, even if you commit to all of it. <sighs> I kept putting leaf surgery off. And then the second time I was supposed to have it, I had COVID. And I was like, oh, well, I guess they're staying in my head a little longer. <laughs> Joke's on you guys. Maybe we should do it together. This should be our 2023 resolution. Dental work. That's how you know you've really hit a boring period of your life. The other thing is that it's freaking expensive. And I don't have dental insurance because it's self-employed. My friend Lydia was like, can you 
can you get it through like the New York state marketplace? I'm like, my insurance is so crappy. I can only imagine what kind of dental insurance would be available. It would be like, well, we only cover wooden teeth, like like pirates. <laughs> you can gear with some teeth out a little, but just no anesthetic whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. So all of <laughs> We'll it, give you a shot of whiskey like yeah, it's in exactly, the 1800s. Exactly. <laughs> so all of it is out of pocket. So it's so freaking expensive. And I'm like, I don't really want to do this. I don't really, I can't really afford this. Like, I don't want to deal with new thing upkeep. should be, we are, we are against dental work and saving for retirement. <laughs> I'm not. Welcome, go, welcome to our advice episode, I, everyone. I, it's going to be great. <laughs> I go to the dentist every six months, but oh. I don't like what I was told. I know I could get a second opinion, but I, I, I think I, I like my dentist. I don't. I think it's that I just want reality to be different. I'm with you there. All right. Let's let's give some advice. (laughs) Now that we've primed people for what? Now that we've showed people that we are definitely qualified for this. Let's do it. All right. So you're going to answer this first question. Should I I read the whole thing or just the abbreviated? I'm going to read the whole thing. Uh. Yeah, I think that helps people get a little background. I like the nitty gritty details. Okay. Me too. So this person said, I'm planning to quit my job that I've worked at for four years. I used to work at the office, but I've moved and so am now remote. I'm feeling bored and less needed. And I also don't make nearly enough money to survive these days. I'm feeling really guilty about starting the conversation with my bosses. They love and appreciate me so much, but this is just through praise and not through anything else. They are under the impression that I will stay with them forever and buy into the company one day, which I don't want to do. I am also worried that this will start a domino effect and other people will start quitting and the company will fall apart And they because they called me the glue of the company. What is your advice on talking to them about this and, transi- and, the, tra- and the transition to leaving? Okay, I have a lot of very strong feelings about this. Hit me. So I think the thing to remember here is that you're saying that they want you to buy into the company, but if they're not buying into you and investing in you, because you said they're only giving you praise through verbal praise, which I'm like, that's not enough in a job. Like to really show you that you're- I can't get wooden teeth with your praise. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind. Never mind real ones. Exactly. I, I feel really strongly about this question because I was someone who was absolutely terrified to quit my job because I was like, th- these really kind people that manage me directly are going to be so disappointed and, you know, everything is going to be different and they're going to have to deal with it. But the thing that I always think about, and this is really dark, but like if you were to quit your job, if you were to leave tomorrow, if you were to die, they would either replace you probably pretty quickly or even sadder, they would just figure out how to carry on without your role. <laughs> like The company will start going. Companies do not care about you at all. Like maybe your immediate boss does, but the company as a whole does not care about you. So you shouldn't make decisions based on hurting their feelings or disappointing them. And like if other people quit, then those people were going to quit anyway. And you were just, you know, the final straw or the thing that gave them the confidence to leave. Do you have thoughts about this, Becca? I mean, I agree. I think that you don't owe them anything. Employment is a contract where they pay you in exchange for your work, and you're not obligated to stay there when you're unhappy or stay there indefinitely or become a partner in this company that you don't want to be part of. So I don't really think you owe them anything. I think it'll probably be a hard conversation because I think they'll probably take it hard because it doesn't sound like they see it coming. 
But I think ultimately you don't owe them anything. And if people do leave, that's on them, not on you. Yeah, absolutely. It's the company's responsibility to give those people and you a reason to stay. And they're clearly not doing that. So Godspeed to you. Okay. Okay. I think Becca's going to mainly answer this next one since she's writing this, this book high right now and inspiring us all. Uh, this message says, love your podcast. Thank you. And love that you have been sharing your writing journeys. I have started working on my first book. I would say I'm about 6,000 words in, but struggling with imposter syndrome and trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing been there. Can you share a bit about how you felt when you were first starting and what made you keep going when you felt like it wasn't worth it and wasn't going to turn out? Unless you never felt this way in which I am thoroughly impressed. So I think in my case, I felt really good for the first 10 to 12,000 words. And then I felt flat out terrified for the rest of the time up through Tuesday. (laughs) So I have bad news that I don't think it's going to go away. I I do not foresee it going away, even once my book is on a shelf with my name on it. Like, I will still find a way to minimize that. So I think you just got to do it anyway. I will say one thing that really helped me was managing my expectations around how good my first draft was going to be. And a couple of resources really helped me. The book Bird by Bird by Anne Lamont has an essay in it called On Shitty First Drafts. And you should buy the book because it's lovely and, and I recommend it. But um, I think you can get the essay. It's in the public domain, I think. I think you can just Google it and, and read the essay. Basically, the hypothesis is all first drafts are shitty. So even though you have this imposter syndrome, you're not doing a bad job because there is no such thing as a good job on a first draft. And I think hearing that and also seeing other authors I follow on Instagram say that too, I think really helped me. I'll be honest, it really fucked me up this summer when we had authors on for the How a Book Gets Made series because I think this was not on purpose. Like We just happened to pick people who had a really idyllic writing experience. They they wrote a draft, they revised a little, and then they got an agent, sold their book. It was it was all it all felt very fast. My book that we're taking on submission, it's the fifth draft. It's I've been working on it for over a year and a half. Like it, my process has not looked like that. And I think the expectation of what other people's process looks like like really screwed me up this summer. So I don't know. I think just keep your eyes on your own paper. Keep going. Know that it's not going to be good. And then you'll fix it. And I was shocked. Like, I knew this intellectually, but I was really shocked when writing the second draft and the third draft, how much better it got. So it'll get there. Even if it even if it doesn't feel like it right now, you just need to get to the end. Yeah. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah, exactly. We were just talking about this the other day, but I I always think about the interview we did with Emma Straub where she talks about, I think her first novel that was published, which wasn't even the first novel she had tried to publish. And she was saying like, I still look back on it sometimes and think like, oh, I don't know if that was that good or if if I would have written that the same way. So it just goes to show you that even if you're a highly successful author (laughs) who has been publishing books, there's still going to be times where you feel this way. So you might as well just keep going. Yeah. But I've been Um, there still there not this week because i'm uh, nothing can hurt me because i'm in the in-between phase of 
finishing this draft and nobody having read it so the highs are high and the lows are low (laughs) yeah oh man aren't they let's take an ad break to talk about pros the world's most personalized hair care As you all may or may not know, I was actually a fashion and beauty editor for years before I went freelance. This meant I had access to any, and I mean any, beauty product I wanted for years. I used to take home items from the beauty closet all the time instead of having to buy all those hair products myself, and they were almost always products I wouldn't have been able to afford otherwise. For the most part, I was kind of meh on all of these hair care brands. Sure, they were okay, but were they worth some of those price tags? I was never quite sure but I can confidently say that Pros is very different in this regard. It's hair care that is truly formulated for you and you can really tell the difference. So I've been using Pros for over two years now and I can confidently say that it has fundamentally changed my hair. My hair is fuller, it's healthier, it's shinier. The other day, I was looking in my camera roll for a photo of something from a few years ago and I just happened to stumble on a photo of myself and I I was like my hair is completely different it looks so much better now and the only difference is the pros like I truly attribute pros fundamentally changing my hair and it smells really good it really does and I really feel the same way candidly I have never felt 100% confident about my hair not even when I had that giant closet of totally free really expensive and fancy beauty products to choose from. I've always felt like it could be thicker or fuller or shinier or healthier or bouncier, you name it. And I have probably thought about my hair or considered what I could do to change it. But Pros has helped me feel better than ever about my hair. I no longer put on a cute outfit, do my makeup and feel like my hair is the only thing that doesn't look pulled together enough. And that, in my opinion, makes Pros worth every single penny. And the coolest thing about Pros is that it's customized. So it's based on your unique hair needs. So just because I like it or Olivia likes it, they're going to make something that's just for you and what you're looking for for your hair. Pros is the healthy hair care regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash B-O-P. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash B-O-P for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. So now to get into some more personal questions and starting with a friendship question, a very interesting one. This one says, how much effort should I put into a long distance friendship that seems one-sided? I am single, no kids, and my friend has a kid and lives with her boyfriend. She's too busy to text back, never has time to catch up on the phone because life is so crazy, that's in quotation marks, and is never the one to reach out first. Do I keep trying because I have more time than she does? Do I hope she prioritizes our friendship eventually and wait it out? Do I take this as a sign that clearly she just says we should catch up soon to be polite and fade her out? We've been best friends for 10 years and I don't want to lose her as a friend, but it feels really shitty to be the one to reach out first constantly with no response or reciprocation. This is a tough one. It is a tough one. So my gut tells me that you shouldn't give up on her. I don't know that you should put in the effort indefinitely, but it does sound like she is going through a tough time. You didn't say how old her kid is. You didn't say how long she's been in this relationship. I know that for a lot of my friends who are parents, the pandemic has been incredibly challenging. And so I think you should give it some time and be the one to put in the effort because 
if the situation was reversed and you were in a very busy season of your life, I don't think you would want your friend to phase you out. So I think two things that I would recommend, and you didn't say anything. I don't know what your financial situation is and if this is feasible. I don't know what her childcare situation is and if this is feasible, but maybe can you go visit her wherever she lives and can you get some quality time and hang out with her and her child and her boyfriend and and be part of her life. I think that's one thing that would go a long way towards her feeling supported and, and you feeling like you're getting that friendship time. Or even better, can her boyfriend watch her kid and can you guys go on a girl's trip and get like a quality time weekend? You know, I have a lot of friends who are parents who I don't talk to on the day-to-day, but I see once or twice a year, and I feel like that fills up our friendship cup and keeps it going. And, you know, hopefully in a less busy season of their life, there will be more time. But, you know, right now it is what it is. And then I have two other pieces of advice or, I don't know, things to mull. Second thing is I feel like the group chat is such a powerful thing. And I don't know if you two have any other friends, because I don't think it works the same on a one-on-one text chain. But, you know, I don't know if you're friends from college, maybe your childhood. Like, do you have a crew of friends that you could put all in a text? And, you know, it's like the the memes, the little updates, the things like that, where it's not all the pressure on her to keep it going. I think that's a really great way to keep up with people in a lower stakes way. And then the third thing I'll say is, look, it sounds like you're not getting what you need from this friendship right now. So you don't have to only have one best friend. I think best friend is, I think that Mindy Kaling said this, best friend is a is a tier, not a person. So, you know, maybe think about investing some more in other friendships in your life that you'd like to nurture or finding some new friends who are in a similar season of life to you and, you know, are able to invest in the friendship the way that you would like. I don't know. What do you think, Olivia? Yeah, I I think that's all really great advice. I think the seeing each other in person is especially uh, impactful if that's possible. I also think that I personally have put a lot of pressure on myself over the years or not pressure. I guess I've just felt self-conscious or anxious or weird about friendships, really, really close friendships that have shifted. What I've learned when I've spent time in person with those friends is it's not actually the connection that changes. It's just how we communicate. And I think it's okay if you spend a really long time talking every single day on the phone, group chat every day with someone, and then it shifts to maybe you only see each other a couple times a year or you talk less often. If you meet in person or when you do talk, like you still feel as close. I think that's still really valuable. It doesn't have to look the same forever. And it doesn't mean that that isn't your best friend if you don't talk every day or one of your best friends. Because you're right. It is a tear. Yeah. All right, Olivia, you're tackling this one. This one is uh, one of the ones I was like, yeah, I have I have feelings. I have feelings, too. And I wonder if they're the same feelings. Ooh, I wonder, too. OK, go. OK, so the question is. My sister-in-law is marrying a guy that doesn't really seem right for her and that she previously told me she wanted to end things with because she wasn't in love. She's 24. He's 30. It's the only guy she's ever dated in any capacity. They seem to disagree on lots of big things, but most of all, she doesn't seem happy. She doesn't have a group of friends to rely on who would talk with her about this. I'm a bridesmaid, but feel stuck between wanting to talk to her about this and just being supportive of her decisions. 
TLDR, would you tell a friend or family member if you don't agree with their decision to get married? No. Agree. I wouldn't. Not your circus, not your monkeys. No. And also, here's the thing. She already knows you don't like him. She already knows you don't like the relationship. I think in friendships, it's sister-in-law, so kind of an interesting dynamic. You know, maybe a kind of family, kind of friends. But no, I guarantee you she already knows your feelings on this. She can pick up on it if you haven't already discussed it. She probably feels self-conscious because she remembers in the back of her mind that she told you that she's not, she wasn't in love with him at one point. But ultimately, like the only way that relationship is going to change is if she comes to that conclusion. The only thing you saying anything will do is cause a strain on your relationship. And yeah, like Becca said, not your circus, not your circus, not your monkeys. Yeah, no good is going to come from you saying something unless she is in a dangerous situation. Yes, yes, that's important. Thank you for clarifying that. Absolutely don't say anything. Yeah. And look. And that's that. Yeah, like, <laughs> it, it. will it suck if they get divorced down the line? Sure, but you could be there for her through that. You don't need to say anything now because I, I totally agree. It's going to tank your relationship and it's going to make it even more awkward because she's your sister-in-law. So you're going to have to see her all the time anyway. Yeah. But wish her the best and you. Okay. Here's another one for you, Olivia. We both picked, I think we both picked four questions for the episode. So that's why this one's for Olivia and not yeah, we're both answering them, though. I don't know. We, we have thoughts on everything. <laughs> okay, somebody said, how can I stop holding myself back from dating because of my body image issues? I have such a full life everywhere but the dating department, and I think it's because I have such a negative view on my body. It's held me back to the point that I'm 27 and have never been in a relationship or even close to one. I try the apps and use accurate pictures, but when I match with someone, I always think they made a mistake or something. I've been in therapy for a year and it has helped, but I still struggle. I know Olivia has talked about body image issues before. How do you navigate that in dating? Well, first of all, I feel for you. This is a big question. And I want to say that we got multiple questions that were, I have never dated or been in a relationship before. How do I navigate this? So you're certainly not alone. We got multiple questions about body image affecting dating and relationships. And I can definitely relate. I don't think, I'm just going to speak personally. Maybe it will help you. Maybe it won't. For me, the thing that really helps is I remind myself again and again, because honestly, even being married and being in a long-term relationship, these like the same issues have never left my mind. The same insecurities have never left my mind. They do not just disappear. But the thing I try to remember is that when I was thinner, when I should have quote unquote felt better about my body because I looked better according to whatever standard I'd set my for myself that day, I still had these same hangups and I was still self-conscious of the same things and it never helped me. (laughs) It only held me back from things. It, It held me back in dating. It held me back in my own relationship. And so whenever I feel that way now, I just try to remind myself that like, there's never going to be a point where I suddenly fix everything. And I'm like, okay, it's time to suddenly feel great about my body and feel confident about, you know, every single thing in my life. So I might as well just try to push myself to do things now instead of holding myself back. I don't know if that was helpful, but yeah. Do you have any thoughts, Becca? 
I don't have any thoughts. I have commiseration. I've definitely felt this at different times. And I think, you know, to Olivia's point, no matter what, no matter what body you're in, you're going to feel this. Have you seen, this is such a random aside, I haven't even seen the actual comedy special, but have you seen the previews for Nick Kroll's comedy special? No. It, it comes out this week, so when the podcast comes out, it'll be out. And um, there's this one bit in it when he's like, does anyone like what they see when they look in the mirror? And like nobody, nobody cheers or like says anything. And he's like, yeah, it's like usually just like, one middle-aged white guy and Lizzo who like feel good about themselves like nobody else does and it just like it is so universal and not not that that's good not that I'm saying that it should be that way but you know I, I just think like you're you're really not alone and I think the other thing with talking yourself out of going on the dates that they made a mistake um I don't think like I think people on dating apps are the worst it brings out (laughs) the worst side of myself like I can say that from my perspective I've witnessed it with men I've dated like it brings out people's worst side trust me nobody is doing something that they don't want to be doing so if you are using accurate photos and you're talking with this person they're going on a date with you because they want to be going on a date with you like yeah absolutely there is there is no requirement to behave well. Like they would flake if they didn't want to go on a date with you. They would ghost you. Like if they are talking to you and going on a date with you it is because they want to. Yes, absolutely. And I also think to your point, Becca, our issues are not everyone else's issues. <laughs> you know, like I think we look in the mirror and we see one thing. None of us are able to see ourselves in reality and none of us are able to see what everyone else sees. so give them the benefit of the doubt that they're being genuine but when you said this this sorry this specific line totally reminded me sometimes i feel like oh and i'm just going to be really honest but sometimes i genuinely feel like oh jake can do so much better and it's it's a thing that is really hurtful because i'm basically saying i don't trust you when you tell me you know you're beautiful or i love you and that's not fair (laughs) in a relationship so anyway very candid but maybe that will help a little bit okay this next one is for becca okay this is a long one take a sip of wine okay (laughs) gird gird your loins (laughs) okay hi becca and olivia my question has to do with something becca once said on the podcast if i remember correctly becca said that she was good at blowing up her life and starting over she did say that Anyways, I really admire how Becca has lived in so many cities, changing jobs along the way, and then quit her full-time job a few years ago to pursue consulting and passion projects. My question is, how have you decided when it was time to move and where to move and finding a job in a city you don't live in yet? And how do you handle all the change and logistics involved with blowing up your life and starting over? Becca, I'm around the same age as you but I've been living in the same city since I graduated from law school about eight years ago. I want to move closer to family, but I'm so overwhelmed by everything involving finding a new job in a new place and making the move happen. Do you have any advice? Thanks so much for any and all insight you have to offer. Um, Lots of questions, Becca. How can you (laughs) tell, tell us how to blow up our lives successfully, please? Sure. Yes. I, I have blown up my life a few times I have not done it recently 
entailing a move to a new city. So take this with a grain of salt. So the first time I did it, I was 24. I was living in Boston. I decided to move to San Francisco. I was working in consulting and had a real come to Jesus moment that I was like, this is boring as shit and I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And I decided I wanted to work in fashion. I just kind of did it. And then the second time I was working for a startup in San Francisco and I really liked living there um, and the startup folded and I still wanted to work in fashion, but there were no jobs in San Francisco. So I ended up moving to New York for a job because I kind of got to the point where San Francisco I'd explored the job market there and I just didn't feel like there was anything there. So it was like, well, I either have to move to LA or New York and I'm such a terrible driver. It was like a service to the world that I moved to New York instead of LA. So I didn't have to drive, you know, and then I've, I've quit. (laughs) I I quit my full-time job to freelance and now I'm trying to quit freelancing to write. And yeah, I, I guess I have blown up my life quite a few times. I guess as far as advice goes, I think, think about it and think about whether a different set of circumstances can make you happier. And if you think that, I think you should just do it because most decisions aren't irrevocable. Like you can take back most of it. If you move to a different city and you don't like it, sure, it'll be expensive and a pain in the ass, but you can move back to where you live now. So, you know, like why not try? I think keeping your expectations in check is is really key. Like it's hard to move somewhere new. It's not going to be ideal for the first few months. So I think having the expectation that it's going to be a mixed bag at first, you'll be somewhere new, you'll you'll have somewhere new to explore. Like there's lots of good things, but there might be some unideal things too at the beginning. I think that's really important to take into consideration and you you don't just move there and everything magically clicks. So I think when you do move, giving yourself 6 months to a year to really assess how you're liking it is important as opposed to moving there day one and month or month one and being like, oh, no, no, no. So, you know, putting in the time. I think if I were to do this now, moving to a new city, I would do what Grace did and I would do a trial run and and rent an Airbnb in a city, not a hotel, like get the sense of living there and try so it out smart. for a month um, and see what I felt about it. You know, without the pressure of a job, it would be more of a vacation, but just kind of like seeing how I like a city. Um, but I genuinely, I just, I feel like life is short. I feel like if you hate it, you can take it back. And like, why not try? Cause like, if you know that you're unhappy where you are or that you could be happier somewhere else, it sounds like you want to be closer to your family, give it a try and see if it does. And then if it doesn't, then, you know, then you can say, I thought moving somewhere different would make me happier and it did and it didn't so now I know um and as for the job stuff like job hunting sucks everywhere I don't really know what to tell you I when I moved to San Francisco I was able to stay with my company that I worked for in Boston while I job hunted and work remotely and so it sounds like this person is a lawyer I have no idea if your job has that kind of flexibility but you know if you could work from home in your new city while you job hunt you could try that and if not I think in general, it's really hard to get somebody to give you a job. It, well, it depends what level you're at, I guess. If you're very, very senior, that's not true. But at most levels, it's really hard to get somebody to hire you if you don't live in the city. So you might have to move and like save up a safety net and then apply for jobs. Or if you're um, 
it sounds like you have family in in the city you're thinking of moving to, like use their address on your um, resume and correspondence. Yeah. And that's all great advice. I don't know. I don't feel like I have good advice. I feel like my advice is just like, do it. You can do it. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, I think that's the main thing because basically what this person is asking is how do I figure it out? And I think that we give, we don't give ourselves enough credit as humans, as people that can figure things out. I mean, think of any situation that was new to you and odds are you, you figured it out. I mean, I vividly remember going to college and being like, I don't know how to order textbooks. Like, how am I Mm -hmm. going to do this? And you figure it out. You figure it all out. Driving, do you remember how terrifying drive? Well, clearly you said you're no <laughs> driving was not terrifying for me. I should be more terrified, and I, I mean, I'm personally a little scared. <laughs> but you figure it out. You do. Yeah, you figure it out. I I remember flat out sobbing in my room in San Francisco after I got there. I was trying to hang curtains, and I like didn't know how to work a drill, and I couldn't figure it out. So it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows, but you know, on the whole, it was great. Yeah. I feel like you've got to give yourself the chance to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's go into the wild card category. I don't know what makes these wild cards. They just didn't really fit into anything. Some of them were more juicy. Some of them just weren't work or personal related. Okay. So first one's for you. Do you think it's possible to forgive and rebuild trust for a partner who has been dishonest, disappointing, and unfaithful? We've been married for 12 years and have two young daughters. On the one hand, I just want to be done with this relationship. On the other, I know even if we get divorced, he will still be in my life because of the kids. We've been trying to fix things between us for a year, and he's made a lot of good changes, but we're both still so unhappy. So I'm a big believer in when people ask for advice, you can usually tell what answer they want by how they ask it. And when I saw this first question, do you think it's possible to forgive and rebuild trust for a partner who's been dishonest, disappointing, and unfaithful? I was like, this person already has their answer. Because, I mean, I can't tell you what to do. I don't have children. I haven't been married for this long. But you do not want to be with this person. And you don't want me to tell you to be with this person, certainly, because the first things you said were, I mean, no person (laughs) would say, yes, please, please stay with this dishonest, disappointing, unfaithful person. So I think you probably already know the answer. And I also think that I don't know if just because he's going to be around because of the kids is a good enough reason to give up part of yourself and what you want. I don't think that would be healthy or helpful for anyone. And I think you'd be doing yourself a major disservice. Becca, thoughts? I agree. (laughs) Okay. Good luck. I wish you luck. Question asker. This one is a little bit lighter. This one is for Becca. Any advice on making yourself do things you don't want to do? I'm currently struggling with completing a personal project I don't want to do, but absolutely have to do. Also, just unappealing life stuff in general, like folding laundry and putting it away instead of picking things to wear out of the dryer one by one or deep clean or deep cleaning the bathroom. Thank you. I have two pieces of advice. The first piece of advice is from Gretchen Rubin, who wrote The Happiness Project and hosts the Happier podcast. And this is something that I do. And I every time I do it, I'm amazed. So it's called Having a Power Hour. And unlike in college, it does not mean taking a <laughs> shot of beer every minute for an hour. Different power hour. 
Huh? Or do you mean a shot of liquor? No, for a power hour, you take a shot of beer every minute for an hour. Oh, I've never heard of that. What does that add up to? Like two beers? No, a shot is an ounce and a can of beer is like 12 ounces. So like five beers in an hour. Oh, wow. And you have a playlist and the song changes every minute to signal oh, drinking. Oh, I guess I missed out on this phase of college. Anyway, anyway, your power hour sounds much more interesting. That's not what I'm recommending. Don't do not do that. Or do. I don't care. You, sh- you, you can if you want to. What if that was just your piece of advice <laughs> and we just left it at that? We were like, have you tried binge drinking instead of being productive and see? Binge drinking with a good playlist. Um, <laughs> done. Well, I think we're done here. <laughs> see ya. Um, okay. So basically set write a list down of all the things that you want to do have been putting off whatever set a timer i use my alexa for an hour it is shocking how many things you can get done in an hour it doesn't have to be an hour it could be half an hour i always think that something is going to take 17 times as long if i don't want to do it i'm like calling the doctor is going to take two hours you know and it takes three minutes so I find that that's really motivating. And then once you start doing them, it gets like a a little bit of a game to like do a bunch. I actually do this a lot of times when I'm feeling too overwhelmed first thing in the morning to actually sit down and focus and work. And it's because I have all these little things I have to do and I'll just write them all down. And usually I don't do a full hour in the morning, but I'll just set a timer for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And it's shocking how many of them you can get done. That's a great strategy. It's my first tip, not mine, but it has worked for me really well. And then the second one is, have you tried bribery? (laughs) Um, May I recommend picking... 60 shots of beer. (laughs) (laughs) No, picking the next thing that you really want to do and saying, I'm not allowed to do that until I do this other thing. So for example... I do that. If I really want to close my computer and be done with work for the day, I say, you can't be done with work until you fold the laundry until you do whatever the thing is that you don't want to do and so then you're excited because at the end you get whatever it is you wanted sometimes for me it's a walk sometimes it's shutting my computer for the day i do this with podcasts sometimes it's ordering takeout oh that's good you do that with our podcast no not our podcast oh i was like olivia like i didn't realize i was holding a metaphorical gun to your head (laughs) can you Oh, I was interpreting it the other way. Like, I make myself wait until I'm done with something to reward myself with listening to myself, which would actually oh. be the worst quality of a human being ever. No, um, other podcasts that I listen to, like if there's sure. a new episode, I'll make myself, you know, or listen to it during the task I don't mm-hmm. want to do. And then that makes it go by faster. A big part of writing the first draft of my book was telling myself I could have a few pieces of sour candy if I just wrote 500 words. <laughs> and this is what adulthood is, And now is, I wrote everyone. a book. <laughs> you so, too uh, could have your dreams if you bribe yourself with a few pieces of sour candy. Imagine what you could achieve with just a Costco-sized bag of Sour Patch Kids. Like, you could be president one day. I could If be. you so wish. It would be great. The world is, the world is my oyster. that's my advice do you have additional advice no i think i do a version of everything you said and i think it was all great the binge drinking to music (laughs) yes the binge drinking is mainly my way of getting things done and that's why i'm successful everyone (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. Um, do we have time for one extra question? Because I really want to hear your answer to 14 on this list. I don't know that I have good advice, but sure. Okay. I've been married for two years, together for seven. I think I'm still in love with my best friend from college. Do I do anything about it? We're ending with the juicy one. Okay. And I think the toughest one to answer, kind let's, of. Let's do it on three. We're going to one, two, three, and then we're going to say either yes or no. Do okay. I do something about it? Yes. Do I do something about it? No. Okay. One, two, three. Yes. No. Oh. <laughs> well, okay. Here is why I'm saying yes. I don't okay. know that you should go after your best friend from college. I have no idea. Are they married? Do, where do they live? What's their deal? Do you talk to them still? Did you ever hook up or were you just yeah, friends? Yeah, I, I have no... Could con- this just be like tension for years? I literally have no context here to say whether or not you should. But what I'm hearing is that if you are looking outside your marriage for happiness with somebody else and thinking about doing something about it, it feels like there might be a problem in your relationship. And so I'm not saying, yes, you should go declare yourself and like get Love Actually poster boards and like tell this person who you may or may not still be in touch with your feelings. Maybe you should. I don't know. Um, But like, I think you should evaluate how your current relationship is working for you and if you are happy in it. Yes, I, you know, I would agree with you. So we kind of have the same answer, but to, <laughs> I would say pause. And I don't know if, if you have a therapist or a friend or something to talk through what this could mean. Cause honestly, like I can totally see if this was like an unrequited thing that's just living in the back of your brain that you would still be thinking about it, even if it's not necessarily worth, you know, ruining your marriage for. That's a tough one though. How do you think we did at giving advice? I think we did better than I thought we would. I think we only answered drink heavily to one. So, and it was kind of like a fake answer. So I think we did pretty well. Maybe not. (laughs) Maybe everyone should tell us. Guys, did you think we did well? I thought we were helpful on some of them. I don't think we gave any damaging advice. No, I don't think so either. Now I'm questioning everything. I think that's a 7 out of 10. I think that was good. Yeah, I think 7 out of 10. Yeah. I think sometimes people just need an unbiased third party and that's us. All right. Ask me about my obsession because I need to talk to you about this. What is your obsession? Okay. So a little bit of backstory. So do you ever like when you have something that you don't want to do or that you're have you're struggling with, you like focus on the wrong thing and you like make it about something tangible instead of the intangible thing? Every day of my life. Okay, great. Yes. So last week when I was struggling with my book, I got to the last page of the legal pad that I was using and had a full breakdown and was like i threw a printer last week (laughs) i threw a printer with force because it wouldn't work oh we did not talk about that i mean we can get to that (laughs) anyway Um, go on so i i had this legal pad my friend Allie got it for me it was from it was like a cute one it was from uh i don't I'm not going to try to pronounce it in French, but like Paper Tiger, the like fancy stationery brand. So I, I got to the last page and I was like, I cannot finish writing my book with an ugly ass Staples legal pad. And so I immediately had to leave my house. I needed to go to McNally Jackson to see if they had any cute legal pads. They didn't. And then I needed to go to like three other stores in Brooklyn that 
have like gift tchotchkes and see if anyone had cute legal pads. They didn't. And I was like, fully, I cannot go on without a cute legal pad, which obviously I could. Like it was not about that. It was that I was like struggling and didn't want to do the work. And so went on a quest for this legal pad. Of course. Anyway, I had a really hard time finding cute legal pads, but I found some and they're customized and they say my name. You just found those? Uh, I bought them. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I didn't just I thought, find legal I, pads. I'm picturing, you wondering, I'm picturing you wandering into a store completely frustrated on the verge of tears and there sitting in... <laughs> The shelf is a is a pad that says Becca Freeman. Yeah, that so, would be amazing. So at the top, it's, it's kind beautiful. of like watercolor rainbow mountains, and then at the bottom, it says Becca Freeman. So it's, it's from really nice. Aaron Condren. Oh, I'm familiar with Aaron Condren, which I was familiar with as mostly planners. There's so many designs, and it's a legal pad. I don't know how many pages there are. It came in a pack of two, and it was twenty dollars for two, which is expensive for a legal pad, but for something customized that's cute. It and has your gonna, name on it. Yeah, and I'm going to pin my mental health to it as well. So, of course, you know, I feel like ten dollars a legal pad doesn't feel crazy. I mean, customized stationery says I've made it. So, it didn't come until today, and I finished my draft of my book without it but i am real excited for whatever i write on it i'm excited for you thanks maybe maybe i'll get one. Oh my god i'm obsessed with this but also just it will say becca freeman okay yeah normal yeah totally normal <laughs> tell me yours okay my obsession is a book because that's how much i liked it i wanted to give it my obsession slot this book is Was called it really we that you didn't you couldn't think of anything else or you're really this obsessed I'm really obsessed. I just, I wanted to emphasize how much I loved this book. So I was like, what if I put it, what if I get wild and put it in the obsession slot? Uh, It's, we all, and I've been talking about free people clothing for like six months. So I thought I could just switch it up. Anyway. (laughs) I almost recommended something for free people, but then my legal pads came. I saw it and I was like, free people, where, before you changed it in the outline, I was like, we are available for sponsorships. Anyway, the book is We All Want Impossible Things by Catherine Newman. It's out November 8th. I think you actually call it in this book. Mm-hmm. So I saw it. I read the description. It's about uh, a friend who takes care of her friend who is dying of ovarian cancer in uh, hospice. It's incredibly sad. Uh, and so I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this, but I liked the cover. <laughs> so and it's very I, it's very thin book. It's a it's a short book. Yes, yes. And so I picked it up, and I was so pleasantly surprised it is funny it is different the writing is really unique but just so warm and the prose is beautiful I cried hysterically on the beach but it's more than a sad book like it it just it's messy I don't know I saw you talking about this and I moved it up in my pile I honestly do not think I have the emotional fortitude for this right now also having experienced being with two family members not friends dying in hospice like I think this will be very close to home so I I really want to read this I like a cathartic crying read but I think with all my book stuff right now until I have resolution on like selling it it sounds so stupid that I'm like I can't read this book until I sell my book because I it's not stupid I made up a bunch of fake people and I'm taking it way too seriously. I understand. But yeah, this 
this speaks to me. Eventually. Yeah. I definitely think it could be hard for some people, but if your main hesitation is just like, oh, I don't usually like sad books, definitely push past that because it is so worth it. No, um, my but main I'm, hesitation is like, I'm hanging on by a thread and like, what if yes, the thread please. breaks? <laughs> please don't. Please don't put yourself through anything unnecessarily. Uh, but what are you reading? I We were texting about one of these. Yeah. So but. I finished In My Dreams, I Hold a Knife by Ashley Winstead. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was so funny what she said on the podcast when she was a guest about how people really gravitated towards the romance on TikTok, because that's what I was reading for. I was like, I don't really care who killed Heather. Doesn't matter to me. <laughs> that's funny. I want to know about I want to know about the romantic entanglements. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I had I can't remember if I said this last week. I did have a little bit of trouble at the beginning because there are so many characters. It's about a group of seven people and then there's like one extra guy too i had a lot of trouble remembering who was who but once i got the hang of it in the second half of the book i i was really into it and then i felt morally legally emotionally obligated to read it ends with us by colleen hoover this book has been number one on the new york times bestseller list on the combined print and ebook list for a year i don't know there was like an an article in Publishers Lunch, which is like an industry newsletter a couple of weeks ago, Colleen Hoover has sold 7 million copies of her books year to date. Year to date. It's incredible. As of August. She like... She's in a league of her own. I don't even know what to... And I... I don't know. <laughs> I generally really like Colleen Hoover's books. I've, I've read probably like five and... Two of them was a really long time ago, and I don't remember how I felt about them, but I, I've liked all of them. So anyway, I just, I needed to know about this book. And now you know. Now I know. Olivia. And we'll leave it at that. <laughs> I don't really have anything nice to say. I, it wasn't for me. It wasn't for me, and books are subjective, and just because it's not for me, I am obviously wrong because it is the number one book on the New York Times bestseller list and has an insane Goodreads score, so people are clearly enjoying it. But I don't think you're alone. I certainly didn't. I didn't hate it. After, I didn't hate it either. If I hadn't read her author's note at the end, I would have hated it because it really struck me as odd. It's about, um, it's about domestic violence. It's, it's pretty intense. I didn't have a problem with that so much as I had a problem with how integrated Ellen DeGeneres is into this book. Oh, I think about that regularly. I think I saw a TikTok or something that was like, what is wrong with everyone that <laughs> that were <laughs> that were, everyone is obsessed with a book where a plot line is being like a fan of Ellen DeGeneres. And isn't like some like the name Dory is involved somehow. I don't know. I just remember listening to it being like because I listened to the audiobook and thinking like what? <laughs> and I guess it was written in like 2015, but Ellen is also pretty universally acknowledged to be one of the worst people yeah. in entertainment. It's true. I look, I mean, I think Colleen Hoover is like a master of getting you to turn a page. It's like a finely tuned art. I've never seen anything like it. But I'm really genuinely surprised this book isn't more divisive than it is. I'm also really surprised that this one is the one that's number one on the New York Times yes. bestseller list. Like Verity yes. Yes. is like, I, I think Verity is the second most popular. I'm like, why Why isn't it Verity? Or um, 
don't know. I like her romances that I don't think they've been as popular, but I don't know. Like, why this mm-hmm. one? It's a great question. I have no idea. I have no idea. So now I know. <laughs> well, we're kind of on the same page, so. I, f- I don't want to shit talk it because I like desperately want her to come on our podcast. And I, I l- really have enjoyed her other books. And I agree with you, like, the pacing of her writing. Whew. It's it's a it's just a master class. I don't but know. I, but I yeah. felt like I need to tell you that I wasn't all a hundred percent there on this one. I think that's okay. We still love Colleen Hoover. We do. But we have our book club pick this month, which is When We Were Bright and Beautiful by Jillian Meadoff. I haven't read it yet. Olivia, can you tell us what it's about? Yes, uh, this book is thriller-ish. It is about an extremely wealthy family in the Upper East Side, and one of the sons in the family is accused by his former girlfriend of sexual assault. Lots of trigger warnings for this one. It's thriller-ish, but not super murdery. It's a lot of courtroom drama, and it leaves a lot to be discussed. So I'm excited to see what everyone thinks. And that's what we've got for you this week. If you'd like more of us, you can join us in the Facebook group. You can also follow us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And I'm at Olivia Mentor. And we'll see you next week. And that's all. (laughs) Bye. Bye. The like fancy stationery brand. Try to pronounce it in French. Papier Tigre. That was pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) Seven out of ten. Yeah, seven out of ten. (laughs) 